Good morning, Grace Free Church, our 9.30 service. You guys doing all right? Sounds good. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name's Josh Daubert. Um, I'm just, I'm so happy to be back here again. Uh, I'm a student at Clark Summit University. I'm studying outreach ministry. And for those of you who think you know who I am, yes, I am the intern from this summer. I know the man bun and the beard might be throwing you off a little bit right now. Um, yes, I am still that same guy. But uh, I'm, I'm so happy to be back here uh, to present another message. Uh, it's an awesome opportunity. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be completely honest. This is a pretty heavy message. So I'm not going to waste any time. We're going to dive right into it. Uh, but before we do that, let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for being in this place. I thank you just for bringing everyone here. Know God for everyone that's here right now that it's not a mistake that you have us here for a reason. And I pray that uh, it would be your word that's preached today. Pray that I would not get in your way, that you would simply just use me as your vessel. God, speak into all of our hearts what it is that you need us to hear and help us to stay focused on you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As I said, I'm so excited to be back here again, and I'm so thankful that you all are here. And I have to say the same for our online campus and for Grace Tremont, so happy that you were here as well. Um, so as I said, it's a pretty heavy message, uh, but to just go into it, obviously, we're in the new year right now, 2022. We know you know. We don't want to talk about the past two years, because, you know, they're in the past now. But with the new year comes new decisions, and that's kind of what the focus is going to be today. I mean, our lives are full of decisions, constantly. And we, I think sometimes we forget how often we're making decisions. You know, it starts with the small ones, you know? What about sleep? You know, should I go to bed early tonight? Should I wake up early? Should I sleep in? Should I stay up all night and play Call of Duty? I've been there. I've, I've had to make those choices. Or what about, you know, what you gotta eat? You know, what you eat for breakfast? You know, you open up the pantry and you wanna, you know, should I eat Frosted Flakes or Honey Nut Cheerios? It's a hard choice, not really. If you're smart, you say Frosted Flakes. But just saying, we're always making choices. I mean, you made choices this morning. You know, you decided to come here to church. You decided to come to the 930 service. You decided to pick the seat that you're in right now. We're constantly making decisions. Now, of course, there's big ones too. You know, let me attack your pockets real quick. You know, the financial decisions we gotta make. You know, we're constantly thinking about, should I make this purchase? You know, should I buy this house? Should I buy this living space? Should I buy this car? Should I make this big purchase? Or what about a job? You know, should I pursue a career? What career should that be? Should I stay at the current job that I have right now? Should I go and I get a new job? Or what about our relationships as well? Should I pursue a relationship? Is this the person I wanna pursue a relationship with? Is where I'm at right now healthy? Should I remove myself from a particular group of people that may be straying me away from God and hurting my faith? You know, we have decisions about church as well. You know, what church do I wanna to go to? I mean, you're here right now, but you may be deciding is Grace Free Church, my home church that I'm gonna to go to? Or, you know, at this church, where should I serve? Keep in mind, I didn't say if I should serve. It's where I should serve. Constantly making decisions. 
you know? I know for me personally, I had to make a huge decision this fall regarding soccer. If you remember anything about me, I love soccer. I was a soccer player going into the fall, but I did say that in past tense. I am no longer a soccer player. It was a really hard decision. There's a lot of stuff that went into it I'm not gonna get into. But um, I saw that just, it wasn't a good fit. And God had a different direction for me. And it really changed the outlook of my entire semester because of how much time soccer would take out of my schedule. Uh, but God had different plans for what my fall was gonna look like. You know, we constantly have so many decisions that we need to make, but it, it should all filter back into this one question. It should. What is God's will? What does God want me to do here? Where does God want me to go? I mean, we should be asking ourselves that question, but sometimes we have a really hard time answering it. So what happens is we find ourselves in this place of just sitting and waiting, not knowing what to do, trying to decide on what it is that we're gonna do, and we play this game called the waiting game. And that's actually the title of this message. That's what I wanna focus on. You see, what the waiting game is, is when you have a decision in front of you, and you're just sitting back, waiting, in your confusion, in whatever darkness or circumstances that you may be in, trying to figure out what God's will is, of what he wants you to do, but since you don't know what it is and you're in the midst of facing the uncomfortable and the unknown, we're too timid and you don't take that step and instead you sit back and you wait. That's what the waiting game is. And I believe there's a couple of reasons as to why we play this waiting game. I think the first reason is we're constantly searching for perfect fulfillment. You know, we're constantly looking to make sure that, you know, if I make this decision, I need to make sure that everything adds up, that everything works out my way, right? We pretty much just want the future unveiled for us. We ask God, can you just show me everything so I know the exact step I need to take? We're constantly searching for this perfect fulfillment. I know I'm there. You know, I, I struggle to take that step because I need to make sure, you know, everything adds up. We're searching for perfect fulfillment. I think the second reason why we play the waiting game is we have too many choices. Uh, I'll use this example. Say you go to a grocery store and you're trying to think, you know, I wanna, I wanna eat some chips as a late night snack and you walk into the chip aisle and you have 276 bags of chips in front of you. And it's hard to make a choice. I mean, ask a high school student or a college student, you know, what college should I go to out of the thousands of colleges I could choose from? What degree should I get out of the hundreds of degrees I could get? What job should I pursue out of the thousands of jobs and variations of those jobs? We have, we have so many choices. This is why we're so indecisive. We have a hard time because we're looking for that perfect choice. It ties back to the perfect fulfillment. We're looking for that perfect one. We have too many choices. And I believe the third reason why we play the waiting game is because we're cowards. You probably didn't expect to hear me say that as you walked into church today, calling you a coward. No, we are. I mean, listen to some of our prayers sometimes, asking God to just, you know, show me what, show me what you want me to do. Please just unveil everything I need to do and remove any kind of stresses that it's gonna take for me to make this decision. It's like, now, I'm not, I'm not saying it's wrong to pray and ask God to help you and to give you wisdom, but that's the thing. God's way is wisdom. What's the point of asking God for wisdom if you're also asking him to unveil everything to you and 
to help you in every single way and you don't have to do anything yourself. We know that that's not what it means to follow Jesus. We know that we're gonna have to take a risk every now and then, but because we're cowards, we're afraid to take that step of faith. We're afraid to step out of our comfort zone. So those are the three things, reasons why I believe we play the waiting game. And I have to ask, like, how many of those do you relate to? Uh, maybe one, two, or maybe all of them. Uh, but truth is, no matter what, we have decisions in front of us. And I believe at some point, all of us have played this waiting game. And I don't know what life looks like for you right now. I don't know what 2022 is going to look like for you. But truth is, you're going to be put in some uncomfortable spots. You're going to be pushed to go out of your comfort zone. And that's simply just what I want to do today. I want to encourage you and I want to push you to, you know, take that risk that you need to take to step out of your comfort zone, to step into the unknown, but that you could also have confidence in doing so and that you would just stop playing this waiting game. Now, there's a lot of stories I could look at throughout scripture of people who were in an uncomfortable spot. Um, But the story I want to look at is the story of Esther. Now, if you want, if you have your Bibles, you could flip to chapter four while... um, and while you're doing that, I'll say this. I would highly encourage you to read this book on your own, own time. I love the story of Esther. It's my favorite book in the Old Testament. And I'm going to absolutely fly through this book today. So I'm going to be skipping a lot of important parts, so I encourage you to read it on your own. But I just have to ask, um, I'm, I'm going to need your attention. I need a favor because, as I said, I'm about to fly through this right now, and I need you to stay with me, all right? So, in chapter one, we're in the Persian Empire, and it's during the time of King Xerxes, and, you know, the, the book opens up, and they're just, they're getting lit, you know, they're partying it up, they're getting drunk and everything, and then, at the end of this chapter, uh, the queen, the king ends up getting rid of the queen, he says, deuces, goodbye, out of a drunken rage, gets rid of his queen. Um, so, if you don't know the story of Esther, that's a great way to start the book, Right? It gets better. So chapter two, there's no queen. Only, only obvious thing we could do right now is have a beauty pageant to find the next queen. So this is where Esther and Mordecai are introduced. They are cousins with each other, and Mordecai brought up Esther and pretty much raised her. Uh, so just that's what their relationship is. And ends up, Esther wins this beauty pageant, and she becomes the queen of King Xerxes. So that's chapter two. And then in chapter three, we have another person introduced, the cunning villain, Haman. Now, I'm gonna read this one verse in chapter three just to explain who he is. It says, King Xerxes honored Haman, an Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of the other nobles. So yeah, this dude's a dog. Um, He's he's the real deal. but what's important to know is that, and I'm just going to say this real quick, Haman is an Agagite. And the reason that's important is because that means he is a descendant of the king of the Amalekites, which are ancient enemies of Israel. Do you need to know all of that? No. The reason I say that, though, is because the Jews during this time understand because of who Haman is, this dude's bad news. He may be a dog, but he's bad news. So... They understand that, and Haman, being his prideful self, wants everyone to bow down to him. Everyone was supposed to bow down to him in this Persian empire. 
And of course, Mordecai said, psych, I'm not doing it. Um, Not a chance. And of course, this infuriates Haman. And then he finds out Mordecai's Jew. He's like, all right, guess what? I'm going to slaughter you. But not only you, I'll slaughter the rest of the Jews while I'm at it. So out of his, like with his deceitfulness, he actually finds favor with the king to later on have this day of annihilation to take out and wipe out all of the Jews. Great story, right? If you haven't read it yet. Um, So then we find ourselves in chapter four. So what happens here is Mordecai finds out, you know, this decree that the king made of this day of annihilation, it is made public, and Mordecai finds out about it, and he's so distressed. So what he does is he goes to Esther to tell her about what's going on, to update her on what it is. And I'm going to be start, uh, starting on verse 7 in chapter 4. Uh, now this is the message that Mordecai sent to Esther. Uh, verse 7 it says this, Mordecai told this messenger, he told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay in the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go to the king's presence and beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. So this is Mordecai's message for Esther. He's like, hey, this is what's all going down right now. There's, just gonna, there's gonna be this day of annihilation and he's gonna take out all of our people. I need you to go to the king and plead for mercy right now. So this is Esther's response. Verse 11, she says this to Mordecai through the messenger. She says, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. So what Esther is saying to Mordecai is, I, it doesn't exactly work like that. I can't just walk into the king's throne room because if I walk into the king's throne room without the invite, without being summoned, by law, he can take my life. The first thing I want to point out in all of this, so we obviously see Esther is in an uncomfortable spot. Like, she has a decision to make. The first thing that she does is she looks to herself and how this is going to affect her. I mean, she knows that the lives of her people are at stake right now. But her first thing she says to Mordecai is, well, if I go into the throne room, I could die. How often do we do that? When we have a big decision in front of us, and we immediately look at what is at stake for us. I I want you to know that your decisions heavily affect other people as well. And that's where we need to step in, we need to be selfless. We need to show some selfless love and understand that our decisions affect other people and we need to put them above ourselves. Not saying don't look at what's at stake for you. That shouldn't be the first thing that comes to your mind. That's the first thing that Esther does here. So Mordecai responds then to what Esther has to say. Uh, I'm going to jump to verse 13. So he sent back this answer to Esther. He says, Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you've come to your royal position for such a time as this. 
Ordecai reflects upon God's character. He tells Esther, hey, just so you know, because of who God is and because of his promises, the Jews are gonna be delivered. Like this day of annihilation is not gonna happen. And that's gonna be with or without you. That'll be whether or not if you're dead or if you're alive. He's reminding that to Esther. He's like, God is gonna save his people. And then he says this, this famous verse, uh, who knows if you were put in this position for such a time as this. He's reminding her, you were made queen in just chaos in such a weird way. But who knows, maybe this is the exact reason why you were made queen. You were put in this position for the purpose of going into this throne room and pleading for mercy. Mordecai is telling her, seize your moment. What position has God placed you in in your life, wherever you're at? And how can you seize your moment? How, how, what impact can you make for God's kingdom and where he has put you? It's something we should always think about. So then Esther finally makes her choice. She makes her decision. And it says this uh, in verse 16. She says to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. How many of us would be willing to make that statement? If I perish, I perish. We just see such a change in Esther and the decision that she's gonna make. She makes her choice. Her choice is determined. I'm going to walk into this throne room. So then we go to chapter five in the first verse. It says, on the third day, Esther put on the royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her, and he held out her to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. So we see that the king had mercy. Esther stepped into the throne room, and the king was pleased to see her. So pretty much what happens for the rest of this chapter now, what this conversation is, is that Esther asks the king, hey, I'm gonna prepare a banquet. I'm gonna ask that you come to this banquet, and at this banquet, I will... Uh, share with you like what my request is and also bring Haman with too like both of you can come um, we'll have a really fun gathering and fun conversation uh, so then what happens is uh, they go to the banquet that day later that day and she actually asks for a second banquet she doesn't make the choice right there she asks for a second banquet and then the second banquet comes and then that's when she makes her request so skipping to chapter 7 and I'm gonna be reading starting at verse three. So what happens is the king asks her, she's like, all right, I'm here, it's the second banquet, like what's your request? What is it that you want? And Esther says this, verse three. If I have favor with you, your majesty, if it pleases you, grant me my life, this is my petition, and spare my people, this is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet, because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. And King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he, where is he, the man who has dared to do such a thing? And Esther said, an adversary and enemy, this vile Haman, while Haman is sitting right there. 
That took guts. You want to talk about a big decision that she had to make in an uncomfortable spot? That took guts. She, in front of the king, also, she had to unveil her identity as a Jew, which she has been hiding in this entire story. She had to give up her identity and also call out Haman in front of Haman to the king, and the king looks favorably upon Haman. But Esther followed through. She had boldness and she had courage, and that's the same thing that we need to model from her. So what happens in the rest of the story is, you know, King Xerxes is so frustrated, he's in a rage, and he actually ends up killing Haman and impales him. Now, that doesn't change the fact that there's still a decree of this day of annihilation. You can't take it back. So instead, what the king does is he makes another decree, that on that day, the Jews can protect themselves from any enemy that comes against them. Sure enough, the day comes, and the Jews triumph over their enemies. The Jews are delivered. And because of that, there's a holiday that is made for the Jews to remember that day of deliverance. And then Mordecai, at the end of the story, is raised to second in command right next to the king. So we see just the story of Esther, very happy ending. But as we reflect back onto this entire story and what Esther went through, like she was put in in such an uncomfortable spot. The future for her was so unknown for her to not only step into the throne room, but also to call out Haman in front of Haman and the king. There were a lot of unknowns, but she was willing to take a risk. What she didn't do is she did not play the waiting game. She had her decision determined on what it was that she needed to do, but not only was her decision determined, she followed through with it. I think... Oftentimes, we struggle with the follow-through. You know, we know what we need to do. We know what the right thing is. We know where God's leading us, but we don't have the guts to just take that step of faith. Esther knew what she needed to do, and she did it. She followed through. That's the same thing we need to do. So as we reflect on Esther's story and everything that she went through and the decision that she had to make, and also as we reflect upon the decisions that you may be making in your life right now and the decisions that you have that you already may know that you're going to face going into 2022, I believe there are a couple steps and a couple ideas that we need to keep in mind as we face these decisions and we face the uncomfortable and the unknown. And the first one is this. We need to stop being cowards, praying these cowardly prayers, you know, you're going to have to take a risk, but embrace it. Don't be afraid of stepping out of your comfort zone because that's where God works. You'll be shocked on how God works in your life when you step out of your comfort zone because that is where he's going to grow you. Take a risk. Don't be a coward. Follow him with everything you do and As I said, when you look at Esther and the decision that she made, she had boldness and courage. And we need to model those same characteristics. Don't be a coward. Next thing I think we need to do, the second idea is trust God. I have to ask, do you trust God? Now, I'm actually gonna ask that again because it's a very easy Christian answer to just say yes. But I I want you to be honest. Do you, in your financial struggles, in your relationship issues, in the problems that you're having at your job, 
in the midst of your confusion right now and in the midst of your darkness and circumstances, in the midst of the decision that you have laying in front of you right now, I have to ask, do you trust God? I have to tell you something. It's okay to be upfront and honest and say, you know, I haven't been. I haven't been trusting him. Trust me, I've been there. I've lost hope and trust that God was gonna show up for certain things and it's not a good feeling. But that's why I have this point in here. It's a reality check. Trust God with your life. Be confident and you can know that he is there with you. He loves you so much. He's not gonna leave you after dry. Just trust in him. The third point is riding solo is a no-no. Do not do it. When you have big decisions in front of you, you can't go by yourself. You need to surround yourself with people. Look at this story. And Mordecai, it took convincing from Mordecai for Esther to step into that throne room. If, if Mordecai was not there to say what he said, who knows whether or not Esther actually does it. You know, we need to surround ourselves with people who are going to help us. We need to surround ourselves with people we have good chemistry with, and we need to surround ourselves with people who are gonna provide us with wise counsel and lead us into the right direction. Riding solo is a no-no. Fourth thing, pray. We need to be praying in all circumstances and in all, all of our situations. But here's the thing. It's fourth on my list, but it really needs to be one. But how often is it, you know, low on our list? And that's like one of the things that we resort to later. We need to be constant in prayer. That needs to be the first thing that we do. No matter what it is that you're facing, no matter what it is that your life looks like, no matter what it is that you're doing, you need to be constant in prayer. So I ask, what does your prayer life look like? How often are you talking to God? Because trust me, he's your heavenly father. He wants to hear you. So, pray. And finally, the fifth step, just do something. Whatever it is in front of you, whatever the decision it has, just do something. I have this book that I've been reading on my own, and I'm still reading through and studying. It's called, <laughs> Just Do Something. Um, I have been loving this book so much, and it's just been studying, you know, finding God's will for your life and what God's will actually means. And there's a certain section in here that I wanna read um, that I kind of find a little funny, but he's talking about you know, how we're very directionally challenged uh, in our walk with God. We have a hard time making decisions. And he says one of the reasons why we have a hard time making these decisions is because we are too timid to actually step out. And he says this, he says, some Christians need encouragement to think before they act. We all know that guy. <laughs> the person that needs to think before, you know, he says or does something. We all know that person. But then he says this. He says, other Christians need encouragement to act after they think. I don't know about you, but I'm right there. I, that, that is the message that I need to hear. We need encouragement to act after we think. Because we put so much time in thinking and trying to process through what it is that we're going through. When in reality, 
you very well may know the decision that you have to make. And as I said with Esther, follow through with it. Just do something. Now, there is a key word here, the title of the book. It's not just do anything. There is some thought that needs to go into it. As I said, God's way is wisdom, so pray for that wisdom, and he will lead you into the right direction. And you can be confident that whatever the decision is that you're about to make, if it is following God, it's something that he's going to enjoy, he's going to love, and that it's going to grow your relationship with him, just do it. Don't be afraid to take a wrong step. Because as I said before, God loves you so much, he's not going to leave you after dry. He's simply going to reroute you. A uh, couple weeks ago, I drove up to New Hampshire, and me being my directionally challenged self, I took my fair share of wrong turns. Um, but luckily, having a GPS, it got me back on track to where I needed to be to get to my destination. That is exactly what God will do for us. If you take a wrong step, he'll reroute you. He will get you back onto the right track, and you can have confidence in that. So, just do something. Make that decision. And I'll say this uh, as I close. Um, through it all, and just the entire story of Esther and everything that she was going through, um, as you read through the story, and you may have picked up on this when I read through the verses, maybe not, but God is never mentioned. You know, that might sound weird, you know, being the Bible and all, that uh, God's never mentioned in the book of Esther. But as we go through that story, we can all recognize and we can see the hand of God at work and him working behind the scenes. It's very clear. Now, I don't know who it is that needs to hear this right now, but whatever it is that you are going through, I want to remind you, God is still there. God has not left you. He is with you, no matter what it is that you're facing, in the midst of your darkness, confusion, and the decisions that you have to make, God is still there, and he's working far more than you could ever imagine. And it may be behind the scenes, but guess what? He's not gonna hide it. He's gonna unveil it, and he's gonna show you exactly what you need to do and exactly where you need to go. You just need to do something, and he'll take you to where you need to be. As I've been saying, God loves you so much. He's not gonna leave you after dry. He gave up his son for you just so he could have a relationship with you. That's how much he cares about you. So, that's all I have to say. Just do something. Stop playing the waiting game. Because when you're playing the waiting game, you just get more frustrated. And you're just extending this decision that God wants you to make. God's trying to take you somewhere, but you're hitting the pause button because you don't know what to do. Take a risk. Don't be afraid to take a step of faith. Don't be afraid to step out of your comfort zone and into the unknown. And simply trust God and know that he is there with you every step of the way and that he's gonna work in your life. And if you take a wrong step, you can trust him that he will reroute you. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much just for who you are, for your love for us, for how much you care about us. Every single person here is here for a reason. You have a plan for us. Every single one of our days is mapped out before a day that we even came into this earth. 
God, following you isn't easy. You never said it was. If anything, you told us exactly that it would be difficult, that we're gonna have to take risks sometimes, that we're gonna have to step out of our comfort zone. But God, that is how you grow us in our faith. And I pray that you would help all of us. You know all of our lives. You know all of our stories. You are the author of all of our stories, God. And I pray that you would help us to stop playing this waiting game. That you would help us to take that step of faith that we need. And that through everything that we do, that we're constantly focused on you and what it is that you're doing in our lives. So God, help us to stay focused on you, to fix our eyes on you, and help us to make whatever that decision is. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.